I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to Farms Advice Agribusiness Podcast, the podcast for agribusinesses wanting to grow through finding the right opportunities and linking up with the right technology. We will be connecting you with the stories from across the sectors, leaving you with the tools and knowledge to implement into your own business. Follow us on our social media accounts at Farms Advice for further motivation to grow your enterprise. Welcome to the Farms Advice Agribusiness Podcast. Today on the show, we have James Bruff. Yeah, James, how you going, mate? G'day, crazy. Going well, thanks, mate. Just a little bit chilly here in Orange. Yeah, I bet the degrees are going down a fair bit for you. Um, it's, it's a little bit colder than what we're used to out at Warren or Dubbo. I think it's a, about a lovely four degrees and sleeting here right now. Yeah, I see there's a bit of snow up in Amda where we both went to uni at the moment, so it's a bit breezy for everyone. Yeah, I can't say that either of us would really miss that, would we? It's a little bit too cold winters in Alda. Uh, of course, not a few mates stayed up there, but I don't think I could. Thanks for joining us on the show. To kickstart us off, I'll just get you to say where you've come from and how it's led to where you are at the moment. Right, okay, I'll hopefully keep it short enough. Um, so originally from Warren, New South Wales, um, obviously... Made it through high school, went to university with yourself, and then uh, I got about three years through a double degree and fortunately ran into a, a rather good lecturer who put me in touch with a, a gentleman who at the time was the head of NAB China. And I was very fortunate to get some good advice, which was to essentially hook into study and even after I finished my first degree to keep doing my MBA studies and 
maybe even if I'm crazy enough, get into my PhD. So that's somewhere on the horizon. Uh, and listening to his advice, I was lucky enough to start a role with Suncorp in Tamworth. And I was very lucky to have a good boss there that taught me quite a lot. Um, so I was also quite fortunate. I bypassed um, being a graduate altogether. I went in and started as a assistant relationship manager, was what they called it there, an analyst essentially in the banking world. And then I was fortunate enough to be approached for a position down in South Australia um, with Rabo, and then fortunate enough again to be uh, approached for a position uh, with BIQ as a manager. And then uh, yeah, now moved across here to the Regional Investment uh, Corporation. Uh, as, and uh, after, I think it was about just shy of four or five months uh, in the role, now uh, taking on the Senior Credit Manager role and uh, looking after about 15 staff at the moment, which has been quite the transition and uh, it's really been quite an interesting period ever since leaving uni. It feels like it's only got busier and busier. <laughs> It definitely sounds like you've got your hands full. Um, getting thrown like into the deep end initially, I imagine this would have let you self-grow uh, professionally a lot quicker um, just to get up to speed with all the bigger guns in the office, do you think? Yeah, so when, when I started, there was three managers. Um, there was one graduate in the office and then there was me in between uh, all of them essentially, and so I had three bosses at that stage, which was initially very, very tricky to juggle when you're brand new straight out of uni. But I suppose I'd all, I was very fortunate; I was always keen to learn. So, bearing that in mind, um, essentially started off with the basics, uh, moved through from there, um, and I suppose it, it just depends. Looking back now, um, we actually some of the we both uh, went to university uh, with she had actually started a month before me in the grad program down at Newcastle. And uh, when she arrived up in Tamworth, it was actually me teaching her. And that's, I think, just the, the nature of what you're expected to learn when you do get thrown into the deep end. And when you're in an office where there is no support other than you and it's the necessity to learn um, rather than sort of a more structured graduate program, uh, I think it also export, ah, exposed me to a lot more than you probably would see in the graduate program where it is sort of really structured, really defined. And so you'd only start out with doing basic things like equipment finance or running excess reports, checking on customers to make sure that they get back with inside their lending limits. Whilst I think the within the first six months of me being there, we'd written and settled a $10 million loan <laughs> and in an right. office where yeah, and in a in an office where the book had only grown by about twenty million in the last three years, <laughs> that was quite quite something to be a part of and to be able to join in on as the first yeah, first bit of lending I was exposed to. Yeah, definitely. Just touching back on you're in charge of around fifteen workers there. How do you navigate around that through like effective communication? Are you all in the one office or are you out and about? So my team's currently split in between those that are working within the office um, with the, at the moment, COVID restrictions. And then um, I've also got remote staff as well. We're all largely based around the central west here. So in Orange, Bathurst, and uh, then myself between Dubbo and Orange. But by and large, it's been a, the big thing that I've noticed, um, especially having been uh, part of 
organisations before that the workforce is often split out and when you have telecons, um, most of the time they probably involve most of the state. I know when I joined Suncorp, it was, we'd all dial in, the boss would be in Newcastle, I was in Tamworth, we had Dubbo on the line, Moree office, Toowoomba. <laughs> so it's just taking the lessons that I've been lucky enough to see through items like that and just being making sure that I've got to make it easy for the guys that are in the team to do their job. And if I can take problems off them and make them my problems so that they're being able to get through their work and they feel like they're comfortable to go to each other for support rather than having to always come to me, I think that's something that it's moving away from that micromanagement style because I know they're all capable. I know that they're all putting in a good effort and things like, especially in the when everyone is working remotely, I think a lot of people have really taken on that we've got to be accountable and we've got a job to do. And I think people have taken a lot more ownership in this sort of an environment too, which has made my job a bit easier. <laughs> but in yeah. saying that, um, we've also looked at a few, few changes, um, uh, how we, how we look at um, some workflow stuff and that's certainly helped us as well. But do you think the COVID situation at hand has sped up the process of that or through establishing like effective communications through these zoom calls or microsoft teams yeah no i think it's for us i think it's definitely something that's within in the team got us going um it's been particularly interesting to hear from former colleagues and uh, other what other organizations are doing as well it, it seems that a lot of the guys that i still know and stay in touch with in the banking industry they've all been moving largely towards um, getting onto teams for the majority of them. Some are using Zoom, um, but and even sort of the guys I know in in the broker space, uh, for agribusiness finance, but they've all been running their catch ups via Zoom. It's been really interesting to see how we can push um, what's digitally possible. I suppose at the moment, with everyone working from home, no matter what what industry it is. Yeah, definitely. There's going to, there's bound to be a few glitches in the process, but once you nut those out, um, it's important that you have like the structure in place, um, so you can carry on with your daily work needs. Yeah, and that's probably the other thing too. I think a lot of people have been considering, and it's probably no different to to when you when you're on the ground. What's um whether you're in the tractor or whether you're out pumping siphons, you've got to have a bit of a plan of who's who in the zoo who's going to take over if something changes. And you've also got to take the onus that, and take the ownership too of the job that you're doing. It's important and it's part of a process and we've all got to take ownership of that and understand that if we do it, it's great. Um, there are con and there's rewards to be had, but uh, if we don't, there's obviously consequences. So it's balancing that and I think most people are pretty keen on that. And It also helps when you've got a team that are pretty good and motivated to begin with. So. I can't complain there at all. Yeah, of course. The fine art of balancing a bit of work and communication effectively. Um, just touching on, like, was it your lecturer that mentored you through to start off this whole process? As, like, we're both heading into our 30s, a few years off yet, but not many people at this age have, like, struck the right, like, channels. Um, where would you put that down to? The lecturer kickstarting it? Um, I think it comes down a little bit um, to what 
to how people are driven, I, I think I've, I've always been pretty keen to, to get in and do the extras. And I've also found that by getting in and doing those, those extras, it often leads to people who will offer help. So you know, this particular lecturer that, that I had, Lou Conway, she's now actually um, the director of the Smart Region Incubator. Um, I think when I, when I was uh, catching up with her after uh, she taught me in a couple of subjects, uh, given the fact that and a lot of the stuff that uh, in a uni business school, I, I think have been quite, quite great and quite open um, with supporting students. I think that's why UNE's got quite a strong following. The advice that uh, Lou gave was pretty practical and pragmatic of the degree is all well and good, but where do you want to go with it? And yep. by putting me in touch with um, Danny, um, Danny's, um, I think, actually now the head of uh, Sean Wing Australia, actually. And yeah, when I went on the uh, China, Australia China business tour trip, he actually sent one of his uh, main guys from down in Melbourne to come along with us too, which was quite good. But skipping back to the, the main point here, I'm getting a little bit off track. But after being able to have that conversation for, for Danny, one of the things that uh, he commented back to Lou was the fact that not many people are willing to take that gamble to reach out to someone like him directly because uh, it was just a, a LinkedIn message that I sent through to him that said, uh, introduce myself, told him what I was looking for, a bit of advice, uh, see that he'd managed to go all the way from being a, a teller through to being essentially the CEO and a country head that's that's quite a feat that not many people ever achieve and I don't think anyone in this current day there'd be too many people that had uh, experienced everything in banking from being a teller through to rising to the level that he he has so it was quite an insightful conversation that um, set me down the path that I've found myself on now and probably for better or worse I've continued <laughs> continued to annoy Danny every now and then for some yeah. advice so I've been very fortunate uh, in the people like that have uh, lent their advice and uh, lent me their time too. So something that I think uh, as we all progress and by all means, uh, we all run our own race and uh, do what we can. Uh, it's something that you can get through uh, on your own, but it doesn't hurt to ask for help. And if you do uh, ask, I'm, um, I've, I've always found that it's been more available than you might think. Yeah, definitely. It's funny that you brought up Lou Conway. I reached out to her as like the work that she's doing with the projects with the smart incubator at UNE. Um, mm -hmm. I always saw like it's a excellent way to, even for the podcast to reach out to those sort of people working, um, trying to improve the landscape of Australian agriculture. Um, yeah. And all the work that Lou's doing is fantastic. It's certainly got some interesting projects up there on, on the go and I certainly hope that it keeps growing as well. Certainly some good initiatives coming out of it and some very good partnerships there too with the, the New South Wales government that they've been able to develop and a couple of other initiatives. I spoke to Farm Lab, one of the, the businesses that work closely with Lou in the Smart Incubator um, yeah. and that podcast isn't out now, but it will be out by the time this one's out. Um, so it's good to see that like these people are keen to get on board um, and try 
put their voice out there, reach out and actually find who their products are suitable for, which is excellent. Uh, and it takes a bit of initiative and quite a lot of leadership to get that sort of happening. And it's really nice to see that Lou's taken what she's been able to help students with and now she's helping the water community by leaving, leading the SRI. Yeah, definitely. So you're a bit of a, you were mentored and now you've turned into a bit of a mentor. Um, how have you taken that on board being the one that people go to? I think it's, I can only draw on my own experiences. I'm yeah. not going to try and oversell to anyone and say that uh, any of this comes without any late nights, a, a lot of driving, a lot of effort and a lot of weekends that uh, you don't always get to go out and go to the pub and enjoy yourself. But it does pay off. Uh, it does certainly um, yield some good returns and it will open a lot of doors and give you a lot of opportunities. But it all depends on where you, you want to go. I know um, recently I had someone who was finishing UNE and similarly um, had been told by Lou possibly to reach out. And, uh, she's actually from out in the central west and from a farming family as well and weighing up which way she might want to go, looking into getting to finance, getting to government, uh, taking on a position in a law firm. And ultimately, after five years of studying a lot of work, um, yep. I didn't feel like I was the most qualified to give some advice, but um, really I just referred back to my own experiences and uh, really laid out that there will be more opportunities if you go to areas that other people won't, uh, which is something that I've certainly experienced. That's how I was, I was fortunate enough to get that start in Tamworth to, to move towards SA uh, with Rabo. So that was, I think, where I, I learnt quite a lot in those two roles. That's down SA, yeah. South Australia? Yeah, Ren Renmark, um, based in the Berry office, um, but lived up in, in Renmark only about uh, 20 kilometres north. <laughs> it's quite a lovely part of the world over there. Um, they're mad on almonds at the moment, though. <laughs> Everything seems to be being yeah. developed through there. Even some of the grapes have been ripped out. Even a lot of stone fruit got removed and replaced by almonds. It's a yeah, very interesting change and shift, especially with um, from when I was down there. The suggestion was it was being driven by... Uh, some water scarcity in California at the time and uh, being in the Riverland, the developments there for horticulture presented quite an, an appetising place to develop some extra country almonds. Now the only challenge is, like uh, every permanent crop, uh, being able to keep the water going there. For the almonds, are like people just converting across from like different enterprises or are they just starting up new down there? Um, it's like... For some guys that are like establishing almond orchards down there, it's quite a long and painful process. Um, some people had already had it in there. Um, I know Almond Co is still well established down there, so it's not almonds aren't a, a, a new new thing as far as I know. I'm, I'm certainly no expert on the case, but say for developing an, an almond orchard, it's quite a long and painstaking process that uh, not a lot of financiers uh, fully. Uh, understand that you're backing something in on a on a forward valuation. Uh, it's going to take roughly somewhere between four to seven years to reach a commercial return, and it's a long way to carry a business through. So it takes a lot of planning permanent crops. It's quite different to what we're used to here in the Central West. Um, 
if it's if it's wet and we've got a full profile, we uh, throw some things in the ground and we hope it pops up. <laughs> uh, that's a pretty good chance of that happening <laughs> this year. It's quite nice to see for a change. But um, yeah, down there, the year in year out, uh, if if you don't have water, it's a very painful game. Yeah, of course. Um, water's a big debate at the moment throughout Australia uh, with the rain and the drought that we've come through. Some are still heavily within it. Um, but touching on your background in terms of your education, not only like your education, but tying in your experiences where you've learned. Uh, I see like you went to China as part of the regional delegation. Yeah, so I was, very, I was very fortunate to be involved along as part of um, the RDA uh, Regional Development uh, Arana uh, tour that was arranged there. Uh, we, were, we were guests of um, the Hojin government and uh, travelled across there. Um, I think there was about uh, 15 of us maybe in total. Um, uh, essentially, we were over there, invited across there for Australia-China Business Week and it was quite quite an interesting event to be part of, especially the opening and closing ceremonies. I've, I've never quite sat in the front row before with uh, 80,000 people or better um, watching the stage while you walk up and wave to everyone. Yeah. And uh, it's quite the experience uh, to behold, and especially some of the, the presentations and um, items that they covered over there and some of the places we, we went and saw, everything from uh, the factory floor at, Aluminium factories through the chemical plants, uh, uh, even agricultural production uh, over there. It's quite a it's quite a different world, um, China to Australia. Very, very, very much running twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, and not stopping for any of them. Yeah, definitely. I learned that in my internship. I wasn't anything to do with agriculture out there, but I just did a marketing intern for a month and a half. Um, it's definitely an eye-opener seeing how they operate just like through their daily lives, getting involved and seeing how they operate. It's definitely good to see. And I, I think that was uh, something I was probably more interested uh, having, having been through Guangzhou uh, before, I've never really ventured as far north up to where Hojin had ever been. I'd never been up near Hojin and having traveled up there, it's, it was a, it's part of Xi'an province uh, where the Terracotta soldiers are. And yep. it's essentially a, a city that's been, uh, everything is about production. Um, the output of um, sort of that aluminium, steel, um, coal production uh, sort of things from memory. And it was just something to behold, a, a city that was running uh, so flat out and was considered to be, a, I think, a, a tier three city, I, I think. or. Um, just based on its size, nowhere near the size of um, the major uh, capitals that we've heard of before in China, but certainly the amount of construction that was going on there and uh, to have seen where they've literally cut paths through the mountains and simply continued to build roadways, railway lines, um, it is quite impressive. And all, all the way around, uh, cornfields as far as the eye could see. Yeah, excellent. China will definitely something to remember for yourself? Yeah, certainly something that's been really great. And um, actually, um, Maka, he had on in the first podcast, um, his uh, old man travelled across with us, uh, as well as um, Steve from Shine Wing, um, guys from uh, Ostar, um, 
subsidiary of Yan Coal. So we had quite a good group that went across there and uh, still stay in touch with those guys at the moment. And uh, certainly seems to be a bit going on. And again, some guys who have been really good to get some advice out of. Maybe we'll have to try and get them on to the podcast for you, crazy. <laughs> yeah, I'd be keen to get Robert McKenzie on. Um, I just had to settle for James in the end. They're all good. Uh, he, is a, he is a tough man to corner and nail down, but I'm sure you'll be able to do it. He's a, yeah, he's a sure busy man. He, uh, if, mate, if the ABC have had him on, I'm sure Farms Advice can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll try my best. For like for yourself, I just see a common theme of like you're always looking out to get networking, whether that's through like going to China, through like your different experiences, and even like the initial reaching out to Lou, um, and just creating that solid foundation for yourself through networking. But you see, like this has been vital for getting you where you are at the moment as a young Aggie, as such. Uh, yeah, if I'm allowed to call myself that, I have hung out in banks probably far too long since I threw a siphon over a bank or sat in a tractor chair or jumped in a got bigger. But um, I think think it's definitely there's meeting people's always got its advantages. It's uh, everyone that you run into, no matter where where they are or how long you talk to them, um, you never know where you'll run into them down the track or whether there's something uh, that you can help them out or maybe in the future they'll reach out to you and, and ask for a bit of assistance. It's certainly been something that as you touched on everything that I've done, I've been very fortunate uh, that most of my interactions with everyone have, have been pleasant. Uh, <laughs> some, some not so much, but um, say for example, uh, when I got a, a call a while ago, someone was looking around for someone who might be able to start feedlotting sheep or cattle. Um, just so happens that, when I was in a former role as an RM, I'd, when I'd gone down south, uh, Joe Newton had actually introduced me to a gentleman who was just opening up and had just got some investment to actually open up a feedlot down there. He was looking for clients and looking for people to get involved. Uh, it was only a simple phone call and introduced them both and off it, off and away it went. <laughs> so it's things like that that I do find um, quite interesting no matter where it is whether it's something it doesn't always have to uh, be a benefit uh, I think that's what people have uh, sort of forget and it takes two seconds to be polite to someone <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not definitely. that hard to say day and say hello and you never know what might come of it down the track <laughs> yeah I think like just to reassure people that everything doesn't come through and just sit on your lap perfectly how you want it um, just getting out there and reaching out um, I've had to do a bit of that for this podcast um, and it seems to pay off. I've got a few more interviews that should be good to get going. Um, but for any young Aggies just thinking of starting out, feel free to reach out to me or James and we'll help you along the way or even other people. I'm not much in the big ocean of agribusiness, but hopefully to kick start it off with Farms Advice. Oh, mate, I'm sure that this will, this will get plenty of people talking. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Well, hopefully it goes that way. Um, just like on the current conditions at the moment, like we've, we've just come through the end of a big drought. Some people are still in it quite hard. Um, and also tying in COVID-19, it's a bit of a shock for the ag community. How, like, how has this affected the current business conditions? 
Oh, mate, I think our, our good friends at Rabo actually put out their latest report a couple of days ago, and I was having a squiz at that earlier this morning. Um, just looking at what they've put down here, just the, the downturn just for Australian food service in April has been 50%. So that's quite a jump, even if it's not directly paddock to plate, and just seeing just the impacts around the world of where everyone is shutting down, essentially. Um, then, like you say, we had, had trade wars and uh, the impacts of COVID on top of that. It's certainly going to be a challenging area to navigate, but at the end of the day, um, people have to eat. <laughs> doesn't matter where it comes from or where it goes. Um, Australia has always been something uh, that's in high, high demand to our produce, no matter what it is. It's just a matter of uh, that timing in the cycle. And I suppose at the moment, whilst we do face a lot of headwinds, the one thing that we've got on the East Coast and uh, actually the forecast outlook uh, that Robo sat here in front of us was that it actually looks quite favourable um, for inland Australia to get some decent rainfall to carry on for the rest of this year. So we can only hope that continues uh, because I know that here in the Central West, whilst we did have a good start, Crops are starting to look a bit thirsty until we get a little bit of follow-up rain. Especially when I was talking to the guys around Ningen, they, they hadn't seen anything green pop out of the ground for nearly three years. <laughs> um, so it was good to get that bit of follow-up to keep it ticking along and hopefully join up that profile. Yeah, and hopefully keep, keep on consistent throughout the rain um, just to keep them ticking along um, within the different markets. It would be excellent for the like our communities coming together for like for yourself. Is there something that we've missed? I see like you've got momentum agriculture as one of your, one of your own things going along. What's this? Yeah. So momentum ag's just been a little thing that Ben uh, McIntosh and I have come together and started to piece together over, uh, since about October last year. Basically, um, with the idea of uh, building an, an aggregate uh, for smaller suppliers to be able to sell into international markets and get a little bit more le leveraging power rather than um, having to pay freight both ways, rely on the sale price and everyone taking a clip out of, out of the middle. So at the moment, that's been something that we've been developing and modelling um, on based on where COVID is at the moment. Uh, it's certainly something that Whilst we'd rather it was a lot more active, it's certainly gone a little bit quiet. But it's uh, it's been something that's been very interesting to, to keep building and chipping away with, uh, building a little bit of that uh, client marketing base um, to start getting out to and providing more active updates. And it's certainly been quite interesting um, from a tech perspective, um, just finding the right systems um, and the, the right way to actually channel data. Um, one guy in particular, actually, that... Uh, it was quite fortuitous when Ben and I were actually heading down to Melbourne. We ran into a, a guy who reached out to me via, uh, from LinkedIn, Angus. Um, he's now actually established his own um, ag tech startup. Uh, they actually, I believe that they won um, the Westpac startup for ag tech. Uh, very, very um, pluey bloke. Um, it's called a company called Agturary. It's something that hopefully uh, when we catch up with them again, we can try and assist uh, with finding a few farmers who'd be interested in uh, trialling the product and uh, going through his proof of concept. Uh, it's being able to use satellite imagery um, to be able to 
map and uh, keep an eye on farm productivity, subsoil moisture. It was really um, something that was quite fascinating to sit down and listen to. Um, uh, for someone who uh, openly admitted that he hadn't, hadn't been on a farm or had a farming background, but um, he got right into um, the technology space and was seeing the applications uh, that he, what he was doing could have for ag. So it's, it just shows you can come, come from anywhere and reaching out and networking can really have its benefits. So. Yeah, of course. I think like there's a lot of industry and sectors that you can see a huge crossover. Like agriculture isn't just doing the manual work out in the sheep yards or planting year in, year out. You can like join in other forms. Um, I think you've just definitely seen this quite well within the ag tech space and also within like banking and finance. And probably just touching on that banking and finance space. Um, it's, I think the last three years have probably been a really, um, really good learning curve. Not, uh, not that I wish this upon anyone in the, in the finance industry, but, uh, going through times like this, you do see the, the other side of banking where unfortunately things do go wrong. And, um, how you do have to work closely and, and support your customers to get through that. And sometimes um, what those hard decisions are when it does come to making um, plans and uh, sometimes not always going for that expansion or um, holding off and make, even having to make the call of having a complete skip year. Um, it has been, it's certainly been an, an eye opener for me and something that I've um, found very interesting to be a part of different organizations. Um, whilst these conditions have been going on and just seeing the different ways that they've been able to assist and work with um, customers and find a way forward because farming often is all about um, making the most of the highs and being able to work out how we get through the troughs. <laughs> so it's uh, yeah, certainly something to, to think about and a lot of, uh, because as you know, Chris, there's probably a, a lot of uh, very bandied about jargon within banking, uh, LVRs, equity, um, your risk profile. Uh, there's, a, there's a good reason why a lot of those um, are used as a, a multi-faceted way of looking at a business, not just uh, to say that um, I, my loan to valuation ratio says that I can borrow up to 70%. Um, from a risk perspective and uh, as a good way of um, probably comparing probably one of the more con conservative banks, um, well, probably not even really conservative, but um, to use to use what Rabo looks at in terms of maybe up against a NAB, um, just that risk profile they're willing to take on um, sort of dictates how they're see seeing the impacts of drought. Some, some people who have and this can happen at all banks, some have leveraged up quite hard and come into a dry spot and they're really hurting at the moment. So while some guys who maybe were a little bit more conservative um, are probably, whilst they're feeling the pain, have been able to ride this out. So I think basically at the end of the day, it's being able to balance that, that risk is quite, quite an art form, both from a finance side and from a, a desire to keep growing a business, um, as everyone in the ag space always does. It's not, not always easy to hear, hear no from the bank. But um, sometimes it, it's not to say that they don't want to back you. It's sometimes there's a good reason behind saying maybe we need to hold this up a little bit and not keep going too hard. 
yeah, less aggressive on the punch for like finance for agriculture as we're one of the most risky investments, you'd say? Oh, it, everything is relative. Like there's a reason why in agribusiness as opposed to say commercial lending, um, commercial lending is uh, basically looked, looked at over past 12 months of performance. Um, ag, if we did that every year, geez, it'd be, be very much up and down. There's a reason why ag, we have to look at a, a long-term outcome, a year-in, year-out perspective of what, what can the business reasonably achieve from um, the current properties in an average season and an average year. And we all know that in, in a perfect world, we have average years every year, but they seldom come about. And that's why it is a bit of a, that's why ag, I suppose ag banking is a bit of a specialty. And why, um, so when you go in and you present a budget to the bank manager, um, lambs might be going gangbusters at the moment and that's fantastic. Uh, that's great for your cash flow. But on a long-term basis, could the business handle a price shock and go back to, say, a five-year average price for lamb? Um, it's things like this that um, I know a, a lot of guys, and having um, been lucky enough to go to the and be part of the Young Farmer um, business project uh, and have the catch up with the guys out there at Burke um, just before I finished up my previous role. One of the things that uh, seemed to be the question of why won't the bank simply give me money um, if, uh, if I've got equity and my cash flow looks good, um, why won't they just accept that? Yeah. And it, it comes down to that year in, year out perspective of saying, well, things might be good now and, geez, that's, uh, that's a great mitigant. And we love, love using the word mitigant. There's only one way to get, get around risk and that's if you can mitigate them um, safely enough. <laughs> Um, but there's there's a good reason there's a difference uh, between cash flow and that year in year out servicing and finding that that happy medium in the middle so you don't end up over leveraged and you can put a bit of a plan in place there to build some equity back into your business if you are looking to expand or if you do go through some hard times um, how do you work with your customer to to balance that that need to repay or that need to um to get through into a stable position and it's certainly something that's been very much on the forefront of everyone's mind no doubt with the, the Royal Commission having recently gone through the, the finance sector and it's been quite an interesting time to, to be in banking actually. Yeah okay so for like for anyone within agribusiness like it's vital for them to jump into the finance side of their business just to know what they're doing. Um, we always put off like the bookwork. We don't always want to sit in the office all day. There's a good podcast, Farmers Owners Academy. Have you heard of that? Yeah, I've, I've heard of that. I've actually, um, one, of the, one of the best guys who used to be a client of ours, um, their sons had actually been pushed into doing the books, I think basically since their early 20s. Um, and they, they're actually the guys that put me onto that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's an mm. excellent podcast to help out anyone like diving specifically into like managing your cash flow and just to see what we can be doing to put yourself in a better position and not just like sitting dormant um, within our own agribusiness. Yeah, and, and because one day um, 
making those management decisions whilst um, whilst you might not be in the driver's seat at the moment, um, developing that base understanding of, well, what's what's going to determine how I can operate my business, what are my what are my key indicators of whether my business is tracking well or poorly, other than it's great to say that I oh, know we we stripped four ton this year and that's fantastic. But like there are some guys say up around the Walgett district to do this quite well. Like they might only get say one in five, one in seven, one in ten. But they don't go they don't leverage up too hard and they've got enough storage there that they can store all that grain on farm. And if it is a bumpy year, they're not going to yeah. cash it in for 150 bucks a ton. Um, so yeah, the last couple of years where we've had drought, I know there've been guys up there who've been selling it for over three, four, nearly 500 bucks a ton for barley, which when yeah, they right. stripped it was worth $150 a ton or oats, um, which was worth next to nothing at the time. Similar story, um, selling that for a hell of a lot more when they first stripped it. So this was 2016 crop. Yeah, okay. So for like for that timing has to do with a lot of everything that we do in agribusiness, doesn't it? Yeah, and, and it's not to say that we're always going to get the timing right. Um, I know, um, just let's take the example of um, the Chinese barley ban. Um, a lot of people are citing that as sort of that line of the sand if they could have looked back in a crystal ball and decided to lock in and sell or what they were going to plant. Um, there's always going to be things like this that unfortunately happen and um, cause us to have to adapt. But it's about thinking, I think, the long term in, in ag as well. It's not just a, one year is going to solve everything. It's over a lot. It is a long, long game business. It's not just yeah. a, a one year is going to make it or break it. It's a, it's a long-term business with long-term strategies and how we manage and how we look at ag from that perspective, I think definitely stands us in better stead. Yeah, of course. I couldn't say it any better. Um, it's excellent. Like I want to push the adapt and adopt uh, through farms advice just so like those that own agribusinesses or work within one, um, they're always looking for different ways and just not settling down for like, the bottom mark um, and always like pushing through to see what else they can do for their own position. Yeah. And, and that's probably where um, the benchmarking and um, getting, getting into programs like that, or whether it is ongoing edu- education or other items, just getting out and getting involved um, on field days and trying to learn as much as you can. It certainly does seem to pay off um, across the board, um, whether you're working directly on farm or you've, involved as an agro or as a bank jockey as we may be affectionately referred to yeah um there are there's no there's no reason why learning something new and um, trying to keep up to date is a bad thing yeah definitely couldn't advise that anymore well mate that was excellently well spoken um thanks for catching up with farms advice just for last few questions for what's like your one farm's advice you would tell someone looking to join the banking and finance world of agribusiness without like too much jargon for anyone uh, one, one advice about getting into agribusiness banking um i think maybe the best advice i can give is just be prepared that whilst when you're starting out um you, you will be expected to work hard and probably a little bit harder. 
Uh, and that's the same no matter what job you're going to go into. But with agribusiness finance in particular, I think it's where you'll learn that being able to work with people and how you manage those relationships um, really do matter, um, whether that's within the office that you're working in um, and in particular the relationships with, you, with your clients and the time you take uh, not just to do your work but to invest in those relationships um, with the clients that you're looking after to, to understand their business and to get a good grasp of their situation because that yeah. in the long term is what will separate you out from someone who's just going to be sitting there looking at the numbers and doing, doing the grind and getting it done as opposed to someone who will be able to do all of that and pick up a phone, uh, get out on farm, be out at the field days and really um, fly the flag for whatever um, bank or organisation that you're working with. Yeah, of course. I think like the relationship building um, for yourself and myself, like we've come from a good background starting off at like family farms as such. Um, and it leaves us in good stead for building those relationships specifically. Yeah. And, and you're certainly right there. Mate. It's, it's one thing that I think uh, sort of everyone around Dubbo is pretty friendly. <laughs> they might yeah, bag us out you get a wave. for having a, Oh yeah, for ha- having a funny name, they might bag us out a little bit for being a little bit too far west, and probably me particularly <laughs> from Warren because I'm even further away than you. Um, but it's certainly something, yeah, being able to have that conversation and trying to trying to be able to understand um, where people are at, what drives them, what motivates them. Um, it's not just a matter of um, showing up and saying the numbers say X. <laughs> it's being able to understand. What's led led people to hear? There's a bit more to it than just something that's cut and dry. Yeah, of course. Well, thanks for joining us on the show. If someone wants to contact you, James, or your social media handle, how can we do this? Um, so I've, I'm on LinkedIn, just uh, James Bruff, or um, Momentum Ag. Uh, we've got website up, up there, just momentumagriculture.com.au. Um, my contact details are on LinkedIn and uh, the contact us section there or alternatively if uh, anyone's looking to get on to the brick and have a bit of a look around there they've asked me just to share their details and you'll find it at rick.gov.au just for um, anyone that doesn't know what RIC yeah. stands for what's RIC mean? Oh, the, the Regional Investment Corporation. And, Perfect. Uh, they've, they've also got um, LinkedIn and on Twitter as well, which I'm sure if you just type in uh, the, just Rick, R-I-C, you'll, you'll be able to find them on there as well. Perfect. I'll have all the links available in the show notes afterwards. That's excellent. Thanks for being on the show today, bruv. Um, you're pretty modest about what you do for such a young guy making waves within agribusiness and specifically in banking and finance. So thanks again for joining us. It's perfect. Oh, mate. No, thanks very much, Chrissy, for inviting me on. Can't, can't let the ego get too far ahead of you, otherwise you'll trip over and that'll be that. <laughs> yeah, that's um, it. Yeah. We're, all, we're all running at our own pace, mate, and we'll, we'll all get there one way or the other. Just got to keep working at it. Absolutely. Thanks, mate. I'll be happy to get you on six months or a year down the line just to see where you're at. Um, see how things are going again. Uh, no worries, mate. I look forward to it. Thanks, Crazy. Perfect. Thanks, mate.
Thank you for listening to the Farms Advice Podcast. I hope that we can help you fill in the gaps of your business to help you grow into the future. If you'd like to get in touch, see how we can grow your agribusiness, please visit us at farmsadvice.com.au. Please share this podcast with your colleagues, friends and family to help us find the right audience to improve Australian agribusiness. Hope to see you next time. Cheers. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.